Our reading today comes from Acts 1, 8 through 11, and Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. Acts 1, 8, 8 through 11. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And now Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that the debt is paid. We're so thankful that you bore our guilt and shame. We're so thankful that you bore our sin, and through your blood we are set free, Father. Dear Lord, we all in here are, are more broken than we could ever imagine and, and maybe even ever want to admit, but we are also far, far more loved than we can ever imagine and think. And we are so thankful for the love that you have given to us, dear Lord, and for the price you paid on Calvary. Father, we pray for our time here in your word, and we pray above all that you would make yourself known to us, convict us, and point us to Jesus Christ, our salvation. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Children under the ages, children under ages three to first grade, you are dismissed at this time. As I said earlier, continue to pray for Nathan as he is away in Uganda, um, doing great work. Um, we're so excited to have uh, Dwayne Williams with us. Uh, Dwayne is a pastor at Christ Covenant Church in Hernando. He is married to Brandy, and together they have two boys, Kalen and Christian. And we're so thankful that Dwayne is with us today. I believe it was about six months, about a year ago, Dwayne was here with us again. So thank you so much for being with us and taking your time, Dwayne. Let's bow heads to pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for all that you've done for us, that you've kept us throughout the week. You've protected us and allowed us to be to work jobs and enjoy family and have relatively good health. And we're here today to worship you and to praise you and love you and then love each other and then leave this place and love other people. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you will help people to hear, make them able to hear as you make me able to preach. Uh, and then, Lord, let us leave this place uh, spreading your gospel to all who are here. This we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for having me back. 
You didn't throw tomatoes the last time, so I guess I did all right, and I'm out to be here again, so I'm good. I'm good. Last time I was here, my son was in the hospital, and my wife was at the hospital with our son. He was at Labana. Uh, we were at Labana again just a few weeks ago, and here I am again back here. Uh, I, I don't know if that's good or bad, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. It's good to see you all again. It's good to have an opportunity to preach God's word to you. Uh, I pray that you will, that you will hear and that you will understand and that you will gather some truths from God's word. And what I say today that will inspire you and press you on, challenge you a little bit and press you to go out and do what God has called us to do. We'll be coming from Acts chapter number one, verse number eight through eleven and also Matthew chapter number twenty eight. Uh, 18 through 20. And Mark already read those scriptures to you. Uh, and so you're already familiar with what they talk about. I'm glad he read, he read Acts chapter number one first and he talked about in there how the angels stood beside them and watched them while they gazed up and said, why are you still standing here? Uh, and he said that because what Jesus said in Matthew 28, he already told the disciples, you need to be going. You need to go make disciples. So it's good you read it in that order. You saw the angel saying that to them. Then you see that Jesus said to them long ago, I already told you what to do. Go. Already go. Um, today we want to talk about possession with the intent to distribute. Now, this, it's, a, it's a strange title. Huh? I hope it caught your attention. You're like, What is he going to talk about? What does that mean? We're going to draw a course today? Kind of, sort of, maybe not. That's <laughs> what we're going to get. But possession with the intent to distribute. You, you've heard this term before. You've, you've heard it on television. You watch CSI Miami, CSI Las Vegas, CSI Cordova. You've watched, <laughs> you've watched it. You've seen, you've seen First 48 Memphis. That's what's always on First 48. You've seen that. Uh, so you've seen many crime television shows that talk about some type of drug deal, drug trade, something going on, possession with the intent to distribute. Uh, you may have heard about that fraternity when you were in college that had possession with their intent to distribute. Uh, you may have that family member <laughs> that, that may have possession with the intent to distribute. You may have a close friend of yours. Then you may have, I won't say that. I won't say what you may have done. I won't, I'll leave that alone. But you know what possession with the intent to distribute means. Uh, I'm saying it with the intent of saying that we are possessed by Christ. We are his possessions, right? And we are intent on distributing the gospel. We are possessed by him. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are to intend on, on distributing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to be doing that. Just as well as a drug dealer wants to sell drugs, we ought to be out there giving the gospel out. Spreading the gospel to those who will hear the gospel. You know, simply that's what that means. And being intentional has a definition. Intentional simply means to be deliberate, to be calculated, to be measured, uh, to be purposeful, to be willful. Uh, to, you mean what you intend to do. It's something that's meant to do when you're being intentional. Uh, you, when you're intentional, uh, something happens, you become immersed in what you're trying to do. You become uh, consumed in it. You become informed about it. You may even have to sacrifice with things that you intend on doing. You'll put something off so you can go do the thing you intend on doing when you're being intentional. Intentional is one of those words you hear in the church often now. Being intentional. Intentionally building relationships. Intentionally preaching the gospel. Intentional. Intentional. 
How are we being deliberate as a church? How are we being calculated? How are we being conscious? How are we meaning to do what we say we're going to do? How are we being willful and purposeful as a church? Are the questions. How can we be intentional? There was a popular book written some time ago uh, by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Church. Uh, And that book was talking about mainly about understanding why we're here. And God's reasoning for having us here. And how can we know that and celebrate those reasons? Uh, when I think about purpose, I think about a goal being accomplished. You have a purpose, that purpose accomplishes this goal, you accomplish the goal, you're done. Uh, but purpose is more than that in God's system. It's more than just accomplishing a goal and you're being done with it. Uh, God intends for us to not just accomplish the goal, but to live out what he calls us to do. In God's system, purpose is us living a lifestyle, right? Purpose is a way of thinking. It's a thought process. It's a way of doing things. Uh, just for an example, let's say that God has commanded us to worship. Let's say we've worshiped. We sang, we prayed, preached, we worshiped. Do we just mark that off the list and say, God, we're done worshiping now? We're finished? No, God wants us, wants us to continue to worship, to continue to praise Him, to continue to preach, to continue to pray. This thing is ongoing for the rest of our lives. So then we can understand what the Shorter Catechism says when asked the question, what's the chief end of man? Right? What's the chief end of man? To worship God and enjoy Him forever. That's what the chief end of man is. We ought to worship Him and enjoy Him forever. Worship doesn't stop when we stop singing here in the church. It continues on to our homes. Worship doesn't stop when it's just on Sunday. It goes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Saturday. Worship continues on, on, and on. It's a lifestyle for us. It's, it's living his commands out, not just doing his command one time. So God wants us to enjoy him forever and to worship him consistently. Uh, every day from the moment of salvation, from the moment of salvation or the moment of conversion, we, we are intended to worship him. We have to be intentional in worshiping him. Uh, that, that means we have to put forth a lot of effort. Put forth a lot of effort to be intentional to worship God because our bodies want to resist. Our minds want to resist. Uh, sin makes us want to resist. And so we have to put forth this effort to worship him, to love him, uh, up, um, t- until we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, we won't have to put forth that effort anymore. It'll be effortless when we get to heaven. There won't be any sin to keep us back. There won't be any resistance in us that says, I don't feel like worshiping God today. I don't feel like thinking about him today. I don't feel like living for him today. When we're in heaven, we'll do it freely. We'll be freely worshiping him with no effort, all joy, with no sin, perfectly worshiping him. It would be just natural for us to do it. When we're talking about distributing, we're talking about those scriptures of Acts chapter number 1, and Matthew chapter number 18, those are missional evangelistic passages, right? We, we think about evangelism and, mis, and mission trips when we think about those scriptures. But what is mission? What is evangelism? What are those things? Uh, mission, to give you a definition, is an important assignment carried out for political, re, for political, religious, or commercial reason, right? Uh, there's a purpose behind it, and it usually involves travel when you're doing mission. Evangelism is carrying the gospel to different people in the different places. So they're kind of the same thing. When you think about mission, 
you're carrying, uh, you, you're going out for a political or religious reason. You're going to a faraway place that's involved in traveling. When you think about evangelism, it's carrying the gospel. It's spreading the gospel out to people in the places. So they're kind of the same thing. Uh, but when we think about mission, we always think about a work project. When we think about mission, we think about doing something, an action that represents our faith. When we think about evangelism, we think about what do we say? What can we say to represent our faith in those two things? So that's how we see them a little bit different. Uh, we can call it what we want, though. You can call it local missions and far, far away evangelism if you like. It doesn't matter. We need both of them. When I say far, far away, I think about Shrek. Far, <laughs> I just thought about Shrek. Far, far away. The land of far, far away. <laughs> That'll do, donkey. That'll do. Okay, I'll leave it alone. But, but we, we can call them either one. They can be local missions or far, far away evangelism. But both are needed, both are commanded, both are beneficial, right? We need both of those to be working no matter what the location is. We ought to be missional, we ought to be evangelistic. Either way it go, wherever we are, that's what we should do. So let's think of what, what can, how can we put this in a term? Uh, we can call this strategic evangelism, right? We got a, we got an intentional definition. We got a missions definition. We got evangelism definition and strategic. What does strategic mean? Strategic means we're going to identify some aims, some goals, some interests, and some needs. And we're going to figure out the means to meet those aims, goals, and interests. That's what being strategic is, right? You think carefully about a goal or aim or interest of a group, a place, or project, and you figure out the means to accomplish those things. Being strategic will help us to be comprehensive when we're doing ministry, when we're evangelizing, when we're doing missions work. Help us be comprehensive. When I think about being comprehensive for people in places, I think about the fact that we're going to address what we see. You're going to address what you see, what you discern right off. That needs to be addressed. And we will also address what we discover, right? That needs to be addressed. So what you see, you'll address and what you'll discover. Uh, this way, when we do it this way, we address what we see. We won't spend a lot of time thinking about, analyzing it, pondering about people and places. Sometimes we can get caught up in the paralysis of analysis. We're thinking all the time. We're making plans. We're talking about it. We're meeting about the meeting, the meeting, the meeting about the meeting again to talk about moving, maybe. We're always doing that and we never move. We never go. But when you, when you can just clearly see what needs to be done, Right? When you can see what needs to be done, address it. It keeps you from being stagnant. We'll take too long to move, or we'll never move at all. Because we're still thinking. We're still processing. It's like we're still circling when you're, when you're buffering on your, on your phone. We're buffering. We're just buffering. We're buffering. Buffering. I guess we need some 4G or 3G in our life. God, God the Son. That's a sermon. 3G in your life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to preach that one day. They need to write that one down. <laughs> we'll preach that one day. But, but this way we're not stuck in one place. We can quickly analyze and see or discern what physical and spiritual needs need to go on in a place or with people. Most of the time you can quickly see that. You can see it right off. You can quickly see it. You can quickly think of a solution for it. You can quickly come up with a strategic plan. You can quickly implement that plan and get it taken care of. But what should take time, what should be ongoing and, and a long time going, maybe, maybe not, but it should take some time, is the building relationship part. 
What should take time is building a relationship, building trust, discovering those needs that you didn't see right off from the very, from the very beginning, what you didn't see initially. That what should take time. You see, we shouldn't spend a whole lot of time figuring out whether or not we should give this person without a coat when it's cold a coat. We should give them a coat. But what's going to take time is building a relationship with that person that needs to coat. What's going to take time is getting the trust of that person that needs to coat. That's what's going to take time. But we like to do the easy thing. I give you a coat real quick and I get out your life even faster. But we should be involved in the lives of people over time. Over time. Uh, so we don't want to be too long in planning, but we want to be a long time in building relationship, right? Uh, we want to see those fruits of the relationship come about. So we are comprehensive because we will be comprehensive, right? We can't possibly know every single thing that, that, that's every single need that's going on in a person's life or in a community or in a place. You don't know that right off, but over time you will get it. Over time, you will start to, to peel back the layers and see there are more needs here than what we saw at first. And that's why the church, the body of Christ, need to be invested in the spending that time in being strategic, in being comprehensive, in being intentional, right? Doing your evangelism and your mission work, okay? So we are comprehensive, that's present, because we will discover what's going on. We will be comprehensive, that's future. All right, so we're going to take care of all of it if we do it the way God did it with us, right? We take his model and apply it to us. He is, he has saved, he is saving, and he will save, right? He is complete in how he deals with us. So when we look at our scriptures, Acts chapter number one, when we look at Matthew 28, uh, you can read those and they're very self-explanatory. But I do want to bring up some questions that they may have that you can see from those scriptures. Who said go in Matthew 28? Who said go? Jesus said go, right? Our second question, who, who is to go? Who is who's supposed to go? Disciples are supposed to go. We are called to go. We're commanded to go. It, it, I, when people say, when I talk about going evangelizing or, or going to do some some mission, some ministry work, some, just whatever it is that Christ calls us to do, commands us to do. Sometimes people say, well, I need to pray about that first. No, you don't need to pray about evangelizing. You need to pray about that. You need to just go. Because he already told you to do it. What do you need to pray about it for? Just go. He says it right there in Matthew 28. Go ye therefore and make disciples. You don't have to spend a lot of time praying about, should I go, God? Should I leave? Should I go? No, go. Go. He told you what to do. Go. You know, if your kids did it that way, it'd be some issues around the house, would it? Go wash the dishes. I need to pray about that, mama. Oh, Father God in heaven. Shouldn't thou wash the dishes? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Get hit upside the head. You better go wash those dishes. I told you what to go do, right? Go wash the dishes. Who should go? Disciples should go. We should go. When should we go? Immediately. We should go immediately. Right? Remember, the angel came beside them in Acts chapter number one while the disciples were gazing up in the sky, looking. And you can just picture the two, the two angels coming beside them looking and looking at them. So, so what y'all looking at? Well, y'all still standing here looking. He said, go. You know, you always got those people standing around looking at stuff. You know, if you, if you're the one working on a car and you got the other people standing around looking at you work on the car, 
Yeah. You working in your yard, whatever, doing yard work, people. Yeah, that's, that's a ragweed right there. Yeah. Man, them dead, man. Them dandelions, they bad, man. They bad. They're just watching you work. These angels is watching them. Why you, why you still looking up there? Didn't he tell you to go do something? Didn't he give you a command to go? He's coming back, like he said. The way he left, he's coming back. You need to be going. You need to be moving, right? Go immediately in Acts chapter number 1, verses 10 through 11. What should we do when we go? Matthew 28 tells us what we should do. We should make disciples, right? Go make disciples, teaching and baptizing them. That's what we should do, right? These things are clearly laid out, right? How should we go? Acts chapter 1 says how we should go. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8 says how we should go. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's how you should go. I'm trying to answer all your questions so you can just get up out here and you can just go. All right? Uh, another way we should go is intentionally. We ought to be intentional when we go. Uh, when you see that in Matthew chapter number 28, we are to go as we're living. When you look at that word go, Go you therefore, go in the Greek, as you are living your life, you ought to be making disciples, is what that means. As you're going through life, you ought to be making disciples. As you're going to work, you ought to be making disciples. As you're serving your family, being a husband or a wife, you ought to be making disciples. As you are working at your job, as you are being a friend or aunt or uncle or cousin, whatever it is, you ought to be making a disciple. As you're going through your life, that's what you ought to be doing, right? That takes some intention. Why should we go? Why should we even go out into this world and preach the gospel? Because Jesus said so. That's enough. God said go. That's all you need. Right? He said to go. That's why we should go. Uh, I know I've had people say, well, if God already chose people to be saved, and yada, 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 then what's the point of going out? Because he said go. That's why. He said go. He's going to use you to reach those people that he already chose Back in Ephesians chapter number one, verse four, before the foundation of the world, he chose people to be saved. That's what it says in Ephesians one and four. But he's going to use you to get the gospel to them, right? So we should go, right? Where should we go? Where should we go? Now, before we answer that, I do want you to see how God was strategic and how he dealt with us. I'm not asking you to be strategic and and God not be strategic. We're getting that, that strategy from him. God was strategic in dealing with us in the fact he identified our needs, right? He saw that we were sinful and we needed a Savior. He identified our needs. He also was strategic in the fact that he came up with a way to accomplish meeting our needs. Uh, he met that need by sending his son, Jesus Christ, in the form of man, right, to live a perfect life, to care for people physically and spiritually, to die on the cross, and to rise from the, to rise from the grave. He did those things. That met our need. That satisfied God's wrath. Now we're able to come to Him. Now if you look in Acts chapter number one, if you looked at those scriptures, and you remember what Mark read, you'll, you'll know that Jesus told the disciples to go somewhere. Right? In verse number eight, this will answer the question, where should we go? Verse number eight, He says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the ends of the world. Right? That's where you'll be witnesses. That's where we should go. 
we, that's where he answered that question, where we should go. Now, I'm going to ask you a question to help kind of bring that, make it apply to you. How many of you like sandwiches? You like sandwiches, right? How many of you make sandwiches? Making sandwiches. How many of you put mustard and ketchup and mayonnaise and stuff like that on your sandwich? Sandwich spread on your sandwich, right? Good, good. Got a few sandwich makers in here. When you put sandwich spread on your sandwich, do you start at the edge of your sandwich and then work your way to the middle of your sandwich when you do it? Or do you start in the middle of your sandwich and work your way out to the edges? Most people start in the middle and kind of work their way out. I don't think many people start at the edge and then work their way down to the middle. Right? So when Jesus said to go, he said go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to almost part of the world. He's saying start in the middle of the bread with your sandwich bread. Start in the place where you are. Start in Jerusalem right here. That's the middle. Then go to Judea. That's how you spread your spread out, right? You don't normally spread from the top of your sandwich to the edge of your sandwich down to the middle. So Jesus says, start where your middle is. Well, Grace Community Church, where is your middle? Where is your middle in your life as an individual? It's your family. Then it's your neighbor. Then it's your neighborhood. It's your community. Your church. It's your city. Your county. Your country. The world. Start in your middle. Oftentimes, people jump way to the edges and they'll never do anything with the middle. They've got all the mustard on the edge of the, of the bread. That's, that's bad distribution. Get some mustard in the middle. We quickly go to the third world country and we, we, we preach and we, we, we help and we serve and whatnot. We neglect people all around our church. All around our church. Or we, or we will quickly get up and try to find the poor neighborhood to go help the poor people out. But don't rich people need the gospel too? Don't they need the gospel? Yes. I always ask, I've been asking the question for years. Uh, why are we always going to the, to the ghetto and the hood to go preach the gospel? When are we going to go to Germantown and preach it? Where are we going now? They need the gospel too, right? Right. We always went to the trailer park to preach the gospel. I'm going to the nice subdivision to preach the gospel. They need to have it there too, right? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So he told them what to do. He told them where to go. Uh, start in your Jerusalem. Work your way out. All right? In doing this evangelism and mission work, you have to trust God's sovereignty. All right? God is sovereign in this, and he has chosen uh, those people that he's going to save. You don't know who they are. All you need to do is preach the gospel. All you need to do is go out there and spread the message. It's all you need to do is preach that gospel and trust his sovereignty. Trust what he says is going to go on. But the power lies in the gospel message. Right? It is in the gospel message. You can look at Romans 10 and 9. And it talks about the power being in the gospel message. Uh, Jesus also talks about in Romans 10, he talks about giving people the ability to hear the gospel. Right? In Romans chapter number 16, he gave Lydia, he opened up her heart so she can receive the gospel. In Luke chapter number 24, verse 45, he made them able to understand the gospel. So Jesus is key critical in all of this thing, right? Right? You have to preach the gospel message in order for people to understand, or in order for people to be saved. J.I. Packer said this about evangelism. J.I. Packer said, evangelism is an act 
to communicate the gospel with a view towards conversion, right? We should always focus on on communicating the gospel because that's the way people get saved, by preaching the gospel message, okay? You have to preach the gospel message. Uh, Look at Romans chapter number 10. Real quick, Romans chapter number 10. I'm going to read it to you. Romans 10, verse 14 says this, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall, how shall they believe in him when they not, who, who, whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? All right? Then it says, As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord hath Lord, who has believed our report? Our report. So they cannot believe. They cannot hear. They cannot be saved unless they hear the gospel. But they won't hear unless someone is going to preach the gospel, right? You got to preach this gospel. Now, we like to cloak evangelism in work projects. Like to cloak evangelism in work projects. We like to make evangelism a work project. We like to make evangelism some serving food or providing some need. But you got to eventually say the words. You know that, don't you? Now, I know we like to talk about you don't want to drop the Jesus bomb, but you got to drop the Jesus bomb sometime or another. You know that, right? You can't just hammer somebody. You can't just hammer and build a house and somebody gets saved. You can't, you can't just always get somebody a meal all the time. You've got to give them the message. They got to hear the gospel. You got to say it. You can't hide behind the hammer all the time. Can't hide behind the digging the wells all the time. Can't hide behind the food line all the time. You've got to preach the gospel to the people. You've got to say those words. And those words are very, very offensive. They will rear up against you sometime. My wife can tell you it happened to us just yesterday. Some friends of mine here with me now who experienced it. I have a group called Breaking Down the Walls. And, and we, it's about racial reconciliation by way of the gospel. How Jesus Christ overcomes the sin of racism. And my goal is to try to get the body of Christ uh, to, to think of ways we can overcome racism within the body of Christ. Because how can we talk to the world about racism when we don't have it right in the church, right? You, you know, we need to see more mixture in our churches. Black, white, Hispanic, whatever it is, we need to have more diversity in our churches. All of them. But in this, this group is founded on that. But we've discovered that we got a few Buddhists in our group who like the idea of racial reconciliation, they don't like the idea of Jesus Christ. And they, they got real verbal yesterday. And they got, they were offended. <laughs> they got up. And they, they were loud in their voices. And said, I resent you saying Jesus Christ. I resent you shoving that message down our throat. And all I can say was, you may need to find you another group. Because this group believes in the gospel overcoming sins. Not Buddha. Not Hindu. Not Islam. Not any other thing. Jesus Christ is the only way to overcome sin. And, and they, they really offended. So when you do, when you preach the gospel, you're not going to make a lot of friends. Right? It's going to be offensive to some people. I'm not saying you be offensive. The gospel is offensive. Because you can ask my wife, I was being as loving. I had my loving stance. My loving face. My loving tone. Oh, please. I even did my Bill Clinton thumb in the, 
I even sent my Obama. Now, let me be clear. I did my Obama prayer. I did everything I could to try to comfort these people. <laughs> it wasn't working. <laughs> it wasn't working at all. Everything I could do to comfort them. The gospel is offensive. You got to preach that message. When you only, now think about this right here, in doing missionary evangelistic work, uh, and only doing it towards a certain group, uh, and only, and, and you only want to serve food or, or build things for people. It makes, it makes it one-sided. It, it makes, it makes evangelism appear to be one-sided. If, if a person only sees your model of evangelism or missionary work is you doing something for people, right? Then how do poor people get involved in missionary and evangelism then? People who don't have anything to give to somebody. How do they evangelize? How do they do missionary work? How can a poor Christian, there are poor Christians, right? James chapter uh, 2 can show you that. We've got poor Christians in the world. How can poor Christians uh, be beneficial? How can they be helpful? How can they be involved? They don't have anything to give to another poor person. They don't have food themselves or they can't repair a home for anybody else. Their house needs to be repaired. What if a poor person came in contact with a rich or wealthy, unsaved person? What can they offer? They can't offer a meal. They can't offer home repair. They can't offer a coat during the winter time. So that means that the poor person is left out of evangelism and mission work? No, the poor person has all he or she needs. They got the gospel. All they need to do is preach the gospel message. You see, we made the work the, 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 the missionary, the building of houses and digging wells and serving food, so important. We make that the main thing that we left out the gospel message where people who don't have anything feel like I can't participate in church work because I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything to offer because I can't, I don't, I don't have resources. But you do have much to give. The poor people do. Right? This is why you don't really see a lot of poor people in churches. Even in African-American churches, you, you don't find many poor people even in African-American churches that I've been around to. They're red in the community, but they're not in the church. Right? They, need, they, they have a place in the body of Christ. They are our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. They have a work, they have a spiritual gift they need to be using. They need to be doing something. Uh, so we need to make the gospel message the main thing, not the resources we can give out to someone. That way, everybody knows they can participate. Because everybody can talk. Everybody can communicate the gospel, right? So we need to make those things the main thing. How can the poor Christian be involved? Lastly, uh, in the close, in dealing with mission work, just to show you how powerful the gospel message is, just so you can see the power and the strength of the gospel message, you can have confidence in Jesus Christ and what he said, and you will go out and do it, and you will go out and say it. I want to talk to y'all about the unintentional mission trip. There was an unintentional mission trip that happened many, many, many years ago, and it was called the Atlantic Slave Trade. You didn't know that was a mission trip, did you? It was. It was. Think about it. Think about it. God's sovereignty at work. Man's sinful nature, hard at work. All right. God's sovereignty is so powerful 
God, Christ's message is so powerful, it overcomes the hatred of men. It overcame the hatred that some men, that some white men had against some Africans. And so I'm going to make you slaves. It overcame that. The gospel message is so powerful. It can be heard uh, so clearly. It cannot be drowned out. Even when you have all kinds of noises, think about the slaves and the noises that they had all around them to drown out the gospel. The cracks of whips all around them against their backs. Yet the gospel was heard, right? The cries of, of, of daughters and sons and husbands and wives as the feathers being split up on the auction block. Yet the gospel was heard. The, crowd of, the cries of, of, of people uh, having their foot cut off or trying to run away. Yet the gospel was heard. The cries of people while their family members being lynched, hung in trees. Yet the gospel was heard. And this is the hardest time for people, for the slaves or Africans to hear the gospel. It's the hardest time. When their master sat in church singing hymns, singing praises to Christ about love your neighbor, love God, treat your people right. Imagine how hard it was to hear the gospel during that time and then they come right back out and treat them badly. That's how powerful the gospel message is. It overcame all of that noise of slavery, all of that noise of hatred, all of that noise of mistreatment, all of that noise overcame and they heard the gospel. That's how powerful, the, the gospel so powerful that got me here today standing here preaching to you. And it brings us together. Think about it. All of that went on between these two races. And it's the gospel that makes us come together and love one another. Can you imagine that? Why wouldn't you want to preach the gospel to somebody? Why wouldn't you think the gospel is powerful enough on its own to change hearts of people? If it overcame all those things on an unintentional mission trip, the Atlantic slave trade, Surely, surely they can overcome whatever you're dealing with in your family, right? Whatever your neighbor's dealing with, whatever your friend's dealing with, whatever Memphis or Cordova's dealing with, the gospel can overcome it. I know it can. It overcame my wretched heart. It overcame my wretched heart. My heart is deceitful and bad and full of sin. Yet, in Ezekiel chapter number 36, God says, I will take away your stony heart and I give you a brand new heart. And I'll make your heart soft towards me. He said, I'll put my spirit in you. And I'll cause you to walk in my ways and in my judgments. Do you hear the gospel message going forth today? Can, can you understand that the gospel is what you need in this world? When you talk to anybody, talk to your loved friend, your friends, your loved ones, talk to your enemies, and the gospel can overcome it. So, Christ Community Church, what noise is going around here? What noises do you hear? That's trying to drown out, that's trying to drown you from preaching the message. What noises do you hear in your own individual lives that's trying to drown, drown you or drown out the gospel message? It's trying to keep you from going out and being a light in this community. Whatever noise come up, you know it's just noise and the gospel can overcome it, right? Because as soon as you start to preach the gospel more and more, the more you keep doing it, I know you're already doing it, the more you keep doing it, the more offense, the more Attacks you're going to have against you. So I want to encourage you. Keep on preaching the gospel. Keep on building relationships. Keep on growing in this community. 
Keep on loving all kinds of people and bringing them in. I love the prayer that Daniel prayed earlier. He said, God, bring us visitors. Bring people to us. As you go out, he'll bring them. But you got to go. Go ye therefore. Let's bow here to pray. Father, thank you for this time you've given us in your word. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to see uh, that you've commanded us to go. And you commanded us to go with a message. And that message is your gospel. Give us confidence, Lord, as we trust you. And not ourselves and not our ability, but we trust you to change the hearts of men. Just we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.